Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Italian Wine Podcast, as Wine to Wine 2020 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions chosen to highlight key themes and ideas and recorded during the two-day event held on November 23rd and 24th, 2020. Wine to Wine 2020 represented the first ever fully digital edition of the Business to Business Forum. Visit winetowine.net and make sure to attend future editions of Wine to Wine Business Forum. Hi, everyone. My name is Steve Ray. I'm the author of uh, How to Get U.S. Market Ready, that book right there. Um, and I also do the Monday slot on the Italian Wine Podcast. Uh, my day job is president of Bevology Inc., uh, which is a consulting company specializing in helping export brands, wine brands in particular, enter and grow in the U.S. market. Before I introduce our featured speaker, though, I'd like to make a quick shout out uh, to Stevie Kim and her crack team in, in Verona. And that's Lan Lu, Enrico Avasani, Pauline Rosa, uh, Michaela, uh, Rachel, Jacob. Uh, there's probably about 20 of them there that are making all this happen. Um, the, this, I think the whole thing is breaking new grand, ground on how uh, uh trade shows are conducted going forward, and uh, it's been pretty exciting. Okay, so in this session, we're going to focus on what steps each of you watching and listening can do right now to adapt to the rapid changes caused by COVID-19 in the U.S. market. So let's get to the heart of the matter. And oh, by the way, we'll only be talking heads for most of the session. We'll have a couple of slides at the end with the key takeaways, um, and we will be making them available at the end of the session. So let's get started, and I'm pleased to welcome Ed LeMay. Ed has a long history in the United States wine market, having worked in senior sales and management positions at Constellation, Treasury, Robert Mondavi, Kendall Jackson, all major names. Um, he is also associated with Sonoma State as an adjunct professor and former board member for the university. So he knows his stuff, and he's here to share what he knows with all of us. So, Ed, welcome. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited for the next uh, half hour or so. Okay. Well, let's dive right into it with uh, with a hard question. Okay. We've been hearing a lot about channel shift. Um, also, we've been calling it the, a total collapse of Horeca or on-premise, as we call it in the United States. How can producers get past this headline of doom and gloom about how bad everything is and focus on the opportunities that come along? with this kind of revolutionary change? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Steve. And the headlines are pretty frightening. Um, if you stop at the headline, you probably would want to be in a different industry. But as you start peeling that back, uh, there is actual growth in the industry. So the wine industry for... Uh, decades had always been growing in the United States. And over the last two or three years, we've actually seen a softening of those trends. And we've actually been in very slight decline. But as you look at all of the data that's available now and some of the data coming from SIP source, so this is um, uh, distributor-derived depletion data, so very accurate and very timely data, the industry actually is, for the first time in about three years in growth. And what has happened is 
channel shift has absolutely occurred starting for us in the United States on about St. Patrick's Day. So March 17th, most of on-premise started shutting down ever so slightly and then very dramatically. So we've had um, a collapse um, to a decline to the collapse of on-premise consumption, but every bit of that volume has moved into either independent retail grocery or online, this new e-com sector uh, that's absolutely on fire. Uh, one piece of data I heard from somebody the other day, um, BevMax, which is a chain of, I think, nine stores in Connecticut, they were averaging normal before COVID 300 orders a week. Now they're doing 3,000 orders a day. And I think that's indicative to the, the kind of change that's happening. Yeah, Steve, but, that, that doesn't surprise me. I think that um, according to Sobo Ship Compliant, DTC or direct-to-consumer, as we would call it, uh, that e-com channel, it could wind up being a $4 billion uh, sector for business by the close of this year. Wine.com just released their uh, financials, their back half um, trends. So the last six months of their fiscal year, they were up 217% in revenue. And for the full year, trailing 12 months, they're up about 102%. So their business has doubled. So there is business to be had as long as you know where to go find it and how to present yourself and your brand when you get there. Okay. One of the issues that I hear from a lot of Italian producers is I can't compete with low prices that supermarkets charge or chains charge. And uh, our recommendation is the focus shouldn't be on that channel of trade. And Wine.com, for example, says that their average bottle price is $39 compared to Nielsen data, which shows it's $10 in a traditional store. So it strikes me that uh, e-commerce and this whole new thing is really a good thing for imported wines who want to charge more. It, it is. And people have gone from a special occasion purchase online to it being a part of their normal uh, shopping experience. Um, they will go into grocery and buy beverage alcohol where legal. Uh, but also this e-com platform, people are pantry loading by going to wine.com, going to naked.com, going to their uh, local wine shop that has an online presence. So we're definitely seeing this becoming more of a new norm uh, than we are some aberration that's all driven out of uh, uh, COVID and the, the pandemic. So uh, I'm happy to say this is good news uh, in, in what seems like all bad news. A couple of other trends that are happening is uh, easing of regulations. Uh, I've, I've, you can talk about that change. <laughs> yeah, that's been really fascinating because if people, if if you've taken the time to get educated, if you've read Steve's book, if you know the way that markets are structured in the United States, things don't change very rapidly. Uh, our beverage alcohol laws are based out of our U.S. Constitution, out of the 21st Amendment. And things like that don't change that often. But pandemic hits, restaurant industry is really struggling and suddenly um, a lot of laws are being either completely um, um, removed uh, temporarily or they're being uh, relaxed. So it, 
it has never been possible in most states that you would go buy food to go and be able to take a bottle of wine from that restaurant to go with you. Um, suddenly, all the laws are starting to relax on how you buy alcohol, how you deliver alcohol, um, how alcohol is accompanied by meals. And most pundits that I talk to, um, they suggest that the majority of these law changes are going to stay. Um, that you haven't seen a complete, you know, moral decay or collapse of society because I can pick up a beautiful bottle of Chianti to take home with my pizza or, uh, uh, you know, whatever my to-go option is. So we're definitely seeing some relaxing at the state level for laws that control beverage alcohol. Well, tied into that was something you mentioned to me the other day that um, because on-premise is no longer an active channel for a lot of brands who traditionally have sold on-premise, but now they become allocatable to off-premise. Can you comment yeah, on that? I can indeed. Um, um, a lot of people that are watching this, um, they have um, a portfolio of products and they might have some very uh, small produced lots of wine that is very expensive and they only want those wines available in white tablecloth restaurants, so really fine dining. And there has been no fine dining for the last 10 months here. So people that have been successful in recognizing this channel shift, they've changed the conversation that they're having with their importer. It used to be I only wanted my wine sold in restaurants, and if I found that you sold them in another channel, I would be upset. Well, now I need I need sales. I, I need to enjoy the commerce of my wine being sold. So the new conversation is now that I can have my wine sold at retail, what type of retail shops would I like to see my wine in? Or maybe better stated, Steve, what wines would I like to be sold in the company of? Um, when, you, when you see this yeah. wine, think of my wine, and that could be in some really nice wine shops that had not had the opportunity to buy my wine for a number of years. Okay. So people may be encountering, uh, consumers in the U.S., encountering wines that they hadn't seen before in the off-premise. So how are consumers finding out about new brands? How are they searching and, and finding products? Uh, and how can producers who are listening here adapt? Yeah, so there is still no stronger um, type of endorsement than a third-party endorsement from a friend. So having your wines buzzworthy, uh, having your wines talked about by friends, you know, oh my God, Steve, I tasted this, you know, phenomenal wine from the Alta Adige. If you tried it, you know, so there's nothing that replaces the quality of good third-party friend endorsement. But beyond that, um, people are shopping heavily online. People are shopping in, uh, you know, wine.com, um, you know, Naked, all of these other uh, avenues. Um, so brand recognition, label recognition is really, really key. Um, if you are a producer that is currently doing business here in the United States, I would want to make sure that my importer has all of my marketing content 
my label um, the images, um, bottle shots that show um, my wine, you know, in a uh, in an array of beautiful food, um, tech sheets, uh, any type of sales material. I want to make sure that my importer has that because it's not uncommon for online retailers to go to the importer and get that information from that source and then pull that into their e-commerce environment. And brick and mortar retailers do that as well. Mm -hmm. So making sure that you have very simple collection of market materials that you bring bring to the U.S. One of the things that I recommend to uh, the, the wineries that I consult with is a lot of people are going to um, sites that have uh, label recognition technology, in particular, uh, winesearcher.com and Vivino. And you can do an audit of your own wines. Uh, look at how they're covered on those uh, sites. And if they, you, they don't have current ratings, reviews, winemaker notes, uh, pairing notes, uh, or photos, high-resolution photos of both bottles and labels, you can optimize the site by going to them, Wine Searcher and so on, and saying, I have all these uh, assets I'd like you to put on the site. Um, so the burden is on you to do it. Don't rely on your importer, distributor, or retailer to do it. You can control how your brand is seen online. You know, Steve, that uh, that jogs a thought. Um, back in the day when I first started in this industry, uh, the chore was to go find an importer. And once I found an importer, my job was done. I naturally the wine somehow sold itself and reorders occurred. Well, one of the things that we've seen is mass consolidation in the U.S. wine industry, and the consolidation has occurred at the distributor level. So there are simply fewer distributors and they're larger. So the competition, once you find an importer and an importer finds a distributor for you, um, once you get into that portfolio of products, there's immense competition for what a sales rep should be selling. So the notion that I find an importer and my job is done, that has been changed 180 degrees. If I find an importer, that's when my job starts because I need to make sure that I am taking responsibility for constantly selling wine to my uh, importer, through my importer, onto the distributor, and then finding ways to have market relevance. So finding markets that you enjoy visiting, retailers and restaurateurs that you keep an active dialogue with once you've come back home from a market visit. So the responsibility really is on the producer to constantly be um, talking about their wine and keeping their brand front of mind with retailers, restaurateurs, all down through the value chain. Okay. Well, those comments kind of beg the question uh, number three that I have for you is a common question we all hear. Um, Ed specializes in, in route to market. It's the same thing that, that I do in different ways. And the common question is, can you help me find an importer? And my response is, are they asking the right question? Comment? Yeah, yeah. So I think the question should be, how can I, how can I penetrate the U.S. market and create meaningful uh, business? How can I see my wine depleted all the way through the value chain? And it, it might have been 30 years ago that you get ready for a U.S. launch that you're ready to launch you know, all across the United States. Um, 
that's not a very prudent um, strategy these days. Um, to to create a U.S. launch is something that is reserved for really the largest and best funded organizations out there. If you're a small to mid-sized winery and the U.S. is a market that you need to get into, want to get into, uh, my suggestion would be that you first understand all of the U.S. laws that you, Steve, I would take several chapters out of your book, you know, understand the way markets are structured and how you legally get wine here into the U.S. But I would focus on a few small um, uh, forays into the U.S. You know, I, I read a piece yesterday from VinePair, and they had looked at some uh, research done by Wine Intelligence, and they said if you are a regular wine consumer, there is a high likelihood that you live in one of five cities in the United States. They said 20%, more than 20% of all regular wine consumers live between New York and Newark or L.A. to Long Beach. That's in Southern California, uh, Dallas-Fort Worth in Texas. Uh, Chicago out to Naperville, which is in the Midwest of the U.S., or in the San Francisco Bay Area. So if you're in one of those five cities, uh, you're really appealing to a very large wine-consuming populace. So uh, the notion of let's figure out how to launch in the U.S., I don't think that's the strategy. Let's figure out how to get into the U.S. market in one or two markets, learn how to do business in a very efficient way, and then from there, start growing, start a conquest strategy of the next adjacent state. Or if my distributor that I'm with owns another uh, business two states away, can I then grow to that state? So I think there's a um, start small with a lot of focus and a lot of attention and make yourself extremely relevant, make yourself buzzworthy, have people want your wine, have people talk about your wine, and then be able to move that energy to the next adjacent market. I think that's probably a good way to start. Okay. We have a, a question here I want to uh, throw out because it's a good one. Um, Many producers are thinking of discounting their wines to promote sales. Is this a tactic worth considering or too risky to damage the positioning and the brand? We got a, that's an hour, but okay, go ahead and see what you can do. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will tell you, uh, a retailer in the United States always remembers the lowest price they ever paid for a product. So it's very, very challenging to go down in a significant way to drive volume and then think that you'll raise your price back up at some point. Um, the U.S. market at retail, it does drive on uh, periodic discounting, but it's not significant and not structural in nature. If I have a wine that sells for $20 in a retail shop, I might choose three times a year to have my product discounted down to $16.99. So give a $3 discount, $4 discount to drive trial, to get people talking about it, knowing that it will be a 30 to a 60 day long period and then bring the price back up. I would be very uh, cautious of lowering FOBs 
um, that's very hard to uh, bring back up. So the ability to sell into the U.S. at your standard FOB and then through your um, sales intelligence, through your importer, through your relationships in the market, understand when do I want to program my wines for some um, um moderate discounts to drive volume and trial for 30 and 60 day periods and bring them back up. I would think that's more appropriate. Yeah. My thought is discounting is okay for a brand that has an established presence and uh, velocity in the marketplace, but generally the brands that we're talking to and working with don't. And so it really shouldn't be part of the conversation at all because it's not what the retail price is. You don't control that. The retailer controls that in the U.S., yeah. 52 different markets, different rules in every state. All you can control is the FOB price or the X-Works price and make sure that you're understanding how a U.S. price structure works. And a little uh, uh, recommendation here is on the getusmarketready.com website of the book, there's a couple of free tools. And one of them there is a price structure tool so that people can go into the Excel spreadsheet and start playing with things like margins and discounts and so forth. Yeah, there's a notion, Steve, that you can always go down in price, but it's very hard to go up in price. Right. So if you enter at an artificially low price, you might well be stuck at that low price for a long time. Yeah. And one of the things, there's another question here about explain how the importer could use the photos with food or food pairing or labels and convivial scenes. I think the way to think about it is add value, don't discount. Find ways to add value to your brand. And, you know, what Italian wines have that many, most brands in the United States don't have is authenticity, heritage, a legacy, provenance, uh, all of these things that differentiate, differentiate you in a very, very meaningful way. Sure, it comes with some education necessarily, but those are all value adds and they say nothing about the price. Yeah. And um, when you look at uh, what I would refer to as a beauty shot, um, your wine set in a you know beautiful setting with you know um, you know nice prosciutto and melons, it gives people that that sense of adventure. I can envision myself uh, being there. But those type images do get lifted by retailers, and they use that material on their site. So they show your label, your bottle, your wine in situ. Um, so that's how that winds up being used. My personal feeling from some research that I've done, so it's not just a feeling, is that American consumers want to know two things. What does the wine taste like in words that I understand, not sautéed gooseberries? And number two, is it going to go with what I'm serving for dinner tonight? Because most U.S. wines are purchased right then and there. So if you, can, as a producer, can provide that information, whether it's on Vivino, whether it's in Wine Searcher, whether it's in your POS, whether it's through 750, or a million other ways that you can get this across, that's what what people want to know. And it doesn't need to be complicated. Uh, I use one example of uh, the back label we did for a Spanish wine. It was eight words. Goes great with tapas. Try it with tacos. <laughs> and I think it speaks to what does it taste like and will it go with what I'm looking at? You well, know, Steve, you also mentioned authenticity uh, and video uh, uh, material. Right. Video content is really important uh, to a lot of retailers. So they want to be able to have somebody talk about your wine and who better to talk about your wine than you. you. And 20 years ago, that would have been a video company and that would have been editing and that would have been a long production. Now, a device such as a telephone 
with you, your winemaker, the owner in the vineyard, no more than two minutes. Two minutes would be quite long. One minute, you know, beautiful day here, tasting our newest vintage of um, those type things resonate with the U.S. consumer. They like to see the family heritage behind these brands. Okay, last question. We've got about six minutes left. Um, what can producers do right now without spending a ton of money that can have an immediate impact on their brand, assuming that the brands are currently so available for sale in the United States? So if your brand is currently available in the United States and you are trying to drive volume and velocity, the first thing that I would want to know is where is your wine currently being sold? So what type of conversation can I have with my importer? Please tell me what states am I being sold in and in those states, what type of accounts am I being sold in? And then I want to make sure that I'm addressing all of my conversations all the way down through that value chain to who is currently stocking my wine and how I can be more interesting to them. So right now to try and find new avenues to sell your product in is not quite as easy as driving velocity of where you currently have your products placed. I love that. I would, I would uh, make a point that I see this a lot. Many producers that I work with are afraid to ask for information and data. And I highly re recommend that when you begin your relationship with them, that you lay out what are the reports that you're going to get. And one of the most important ones is accounts sold, because then that gives you the at least the beginning, some some meat you can chew on to help uh, support what they're doing. Um, when you ask for an account sold report, when you've been in the business for a while, they're going to hear that and think that you're going to pull the brand. But at the end of the day, you are, it is in your right to get that information. And if an importer or distributor is not sharing it, uh, I, I'd press on that. There may be another reason. Yeah. And Steve, a lot of these importers, they, they have felt like they have become a uh, report writing shop that people simply ask for a lot of information and never seem to do anything with it. So a lot of these importers have pivoted and they've said, all of your information is available on our website that is strictly for the producers that we represent. So the you know producer in, in the Piedmont, um, you can log in, log in and password and see everything relative to your brand. Not all of the brands, but the brands that you sell us, you can see depletion volume by month. You can see accounts sold. So I would, to that end, Steve, I would not just ask for what reports can I expect, but how can I take responsibility for that? How can I get Great. to your website and get that information on demand? I think that's that's great, great advice. Uh, if we can put on the last two slides, uh, what we tried to do is boil this down into some key takeaways. Um, and Ed, maybe we can frick and frack this. Um, <laughs> start with one because that's kind of been your mantra. Oh, it, it is 100% your responsibility. And I, I cannot stress enough, finding an importer is not the end of the journey. That's the beginning of the journey because all you've done is moved your inventory somewhere else. So you now need to get it from importer through distributor on to retailer and have it enjoyed by consumers in the United States. So, you know, it, 
it's not as arduous as it sounds. And quite frankly, I think you would enjoy traveling to various U.S. markets <laughs> and, and, and seeing, seeing your commerce, seeing your wine being sold. Uh, number two on that list is to get educated and make sure you're doing the right things in the right order. Oftentimes, we, we find people do the right things, but in the wrong order. So uh, one recommendation uh, is the book. Buy the book. It's available at Amazon.it, also at Amazon.com. Listen to the Daily Monday podcast on ItalianWinePodcast.com because I'm reading chapters from the book. And if you go to the www.getusmarketready.com, which is dedicated to the book, there's four free tools that I think would be really useful to you. One is the U.S. Market Glossary. One is an Excel spreadsheet uh, that helps you identify which are the right markets to go into. There's an Excel price structure calculation tool. And for those of you who are too cheap to buy the book, there's a free first chapter in the book. And if you only do one thing, read that and <laughs> go to the next slide. Ed, yeah. why don't you take that one? Yeah, so things that you can do right now to to impact the market. Um, if your wines are not being scored, there's a, a whole host of um, wine competitions here in the United States. If you are getting scores, make sure that you're communicating that. Make sure that you're telling everybody that touches your wine what type of reviews you're getting on, um, on the wines that you're selling. And then... Um, Steve had talked about optimizing all of the content um, that is out there. If you have done a major package redress, if you have changed your label and you absolutely love it, you need to make sure and go to Wine Searcher and Vivino and all of these other tools and audit their site. Make sure that they have the most up-to-date content for your brands that they have. I would also add, as you can see there, when you get the uh, PowerPoints, there's a, a, a link to them. On my blog at BevologyInc.com, I have links to a list of all of the industry newsletters, as well as all of the competitions and evaluations and scoring things that are relevant in the U.S. market, all of which I think is, is pretty important. I, that's about all the time we have. Ed, I want to thank you for your time. I thought you were uh, very clear and cogent and eloquent in your comments. And I hope uh, people who are listening, feel free to add questions here. We'll get back to you uh, if you have some. And we'll post those slides uh, along with the rest of the Wine to Wine slides. Excellent. Thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Thank you all. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.